we find a beautiful description by Srila Shukadeva Goswami. Of a very great yogi who was also a Paramahamsa, a pure devotee of the Lord. And how he performed a tremendous degree of uh, penance and austerity constantly immersed in meditation on the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In this chapter of the twelfth canto of the Bhagavatam, there are many lessons to be learned. In fact, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur would often say that the Srimad Bhagavatam is such a pure, spotless, and perfect scripture with such divine potency that if one were to understand even one syllable of the Srimad Bhagavatam, in truth, one would have attained the supreme goal of life. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu declared, Srimad Bhagavatam Amalam Puranam. This means that of all the Vedas, the Srimad Bhagavatam is the most spotless and pure of all the Puranas. It is the essence, the cream of all Vedic literature. The Vedas are summarized in the Vedanta Sutra or Brahma Sutra. And the Srimad Bhagavatam is the commentary of that Vedanta Sutra by the author himself, Srila Vedavyas. It is described by Vyastegam that this Srimad Bhagavatam, it is the ripened fruit of all the Vedic of the tree of all Vedic literatures. Dharma Prodita Kaitavatra Paraman Miramatsananam Vatam, Vedyam Vastavamatra Vastu, Sivadam Tapatrayon Budanam, Srimad Bhagavate Mahamune. This means that the Srimad Bhagavatam kicks out all the sub-religious principles which are mixed within the other literatures, spiritual literatures of the world, and exclusively deals with the essence of all transcendental realizations, which is savai pung shang paro dharamo atho bhaktir adhokshaje ahoitki apratihata jatma suprasiditi unmotivated, uninterrupted, loving service to the Lord as a supreme occupation for all humanity. So try to understand that many, many of the great acharyas have given their commentaries on the Srimad Bhagavatam. In the English language, the commentary of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, has literally changed the lives 
of millions of persons from living ordinary materialistic existences, addicted to varieties of sense gratification and sinful activities, to persons who are pursuing the path of pure devotion. And before him, of course, there is a commentary of his Gurudev, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada. And there are commentaries by such great acharyas of the Ramanuja Sampradaya as Viragava Acharya. There is the commentary of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. Srila Sanatana Goswami, in his Brihad Bhagavatam Rita, he describes the essence of the Bhagavatam. And there is the commentary, the original commentator, Srila Sridhar Swami. And all of these great authors, in the most humble and submissive positions, they all explain <coughs> that by the divine grace of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, they are only able to describe only a particle of one drop of the glories of the Bhagavat. The Srimad Bhagavatam was spoken by Shukadeva Goswami in 18,000 verses. And as I said, any one syllable of any word, if understood in depth, will liberate you from the cycle of birth and death and grant you pure devotional love in the spiritual world eternally for Lord Sri Krishna. There is a story of one great devotee of the name Markandeya Rishi. It is a long story, but in brief summary, he performed great tapasya, always immersed in utter surrender to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He controlled his senses to such an extreme, and he was so much fixed in the highest samadhi that the higher gods became very much afraid of the power that he would attain. So they sent Kamadev. Kamadev is the power of Maya that through his amorous illusions intoxicates all living beings to go mad after the temptations of the objects of the senses. But despite the best of arrows, which symbolize the most powerful temptations, the most irresistible enticements offered by Kamadev, Markandeya Rishi remained sober, fixed in the thought of the Supreme Personality of God. At that time, Nara Narayan Rishi appeared before them to grant him transcendental darshan. Nara Narayan Rishi is none other than the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who, was then, who had then appeared or advented in this earth 
in, his, in the holy place of Badrikashram. Markandeya Rishi offered beautiful prayers of love to the Lord. And the Lord offered him a benediction. This great, great, powerful yogi, incomparable to anyone in this age of Kali, he was curious. He said to Naranarayan Rishi, please, my Lord, I would like to see your material illusory energy. I want to see just a glimpse of the extent of it. Naranarayan Rishi, yes, so be it. So at that time, the Lord went back to Badrigashram, Markandeya Muni, he saw evening was coming. He began his evening prayers when he saw clouds coming in the sky. It started to rain. It started to rain very hard. It was raining so hard that it was becoming dark and dark. Torrents of rain were flooding from the sky. Soon there was hurricanes, tornadoes. The rain was just not anymore falling from the sky. It was literally pouring from the sky. And within minutes, the entire planet was completely flooded. There was no land to be seen. This entire section of the universe simply became one vast, limitless ocean. At times it was freezing cold. And yet the rain kept coming down and down and down and there was thunder crushing, thunderous. There were huge, gigantic, demoniac fish big enough to swallow whales that were coming at him to devour him. He had no place to rest. He was swimming and swimming and swimming. There was no place to go. It was pitch dark. The winds were blowing him this way and that. At times the waves were so hard that they were batting him, battering him down and then battering him back up and smashing him north, south, east and west. He was like an insignificant leaf just being utterly controlled by this vast, limitless ocean in the midst of a storm, unimaginable. Millions of years went by. No food, no drink. He was starving to death. He was utterly starving of thirst. In complete exhaustion, he did not know whether he would live or die. And blindly, he was just swimming, not knowing what direction he was going. Where was the end? Where was the beginning? As I say, after millions and millions of years, he saw in a distance 
an island. Ah, he was thinking a place to rest. Obviously, for millions of years, not only did he not eat, not only did he not drink, but he could not sleep. Sometimes, when we have a lot of service, or we, have, we are very busy, and we lose some sleep, we become very annoyed. I haven't slept. I haven't slept in two days. He didn't sleep for millions of years. Sometimes people don't give us the type of food we like and we think, I haven't eaten in a day. He didn't eat in millions of years. He wasn't complaining. He was simply struggling for survival. And then he saw this island and he thought, ah, a place to rest. And as he came closer to this island, he saw a beautiful greenery. And the source of that beautiful greenery was a huge, wonderful banyan tree with wonderful, fresh banyan leaves. And on one of those leaves, he saw a little tiny baby. This little tiny baby, just upon seeing him, all of his desires were being fulfilled. Just drinking his beauty through his eyes was quenching his thirst, his hunger. Just by laying his eyes on this child, he found the supreme resting place. He had a bluish complexion, black locks of curly hair, wonderful lotus eyes, lips red like the bimba fruit, beautiful jewels adorning his tender form, each limb irresistible in quality. And as he came closer and closer to this beautiful child, he did not know who it was. But then all at once, this little baby inhaled. He went like this. He breathed in. And when he breathed in, all of a sudden, Markandeya Muni felt himself sucked into the mouth of the child, and soon he was within the child, this baby child's body. And then he looked around, and he saw within this little baby's body was the entire universe, all the creation. He saw planets, he saw all the Himalayan mountains and rivers and streams and demigods and all living beings. He was thinking, what a, what a wonderful thing this is. And upon seeing this struck with wonder, the baby child exhaled. <laughs> he breathed out. And all of a sudden, Markandeya Rishi found himself again, cast a distance away in this tormentful ocean with waves bashing him in, bashing him out, stormy weather. And he looked at this beautiful child. And he began to offer prayers. 
And as he offered, as he was looking at this child with a prayerful heart, the baby Gopal, with a charming smiling face, cast a sidelong glance at him with his lotus eyes. And all at once, the child Gopal disappeared. And Markandeya Rishi was looking all over, where is he? And in an instant, the whole illusion of Maya disappeared. There was no more ocean. Markandeya Rishi was back at his ashram that same evening, ready to offer his evening prayers. Then he understood just one little drop of the extent of this illusory energy. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Daivi yeshuguna mai mama maya duratiyaya mamiva me prapajyante mayamita durantite. That this material energy of mine, this divine energy of mine, very difficult to overcome. But those who surrender to me can easily cross beyond it. You see, Bhagavad Gita gives us in short codes the basic philosophical principles which constitute the essence of all the Vedic knowledge. But the Srimad Bhagavatam expands upon the essence of the Gita to give us a full understanding and description in every sense. Krishna says, this material energy of mine is very difficult to overcome. But how difficult to overcome? Srimad <laughs> Bhagavatam explains in many places. Tonight we are reading about the story of Markandeya Rishi. How difficult it is to cross over the ocean of birth and death. This is just one little fraction of the power of the illusory energy. And such a great soul is Markandeya Muni. What was his hopes to overcome it on his own? There was no hope. What is our position? Until he took shelter of the lotus feet of this beautiful child, Gopal. Then he was relieved of this great, great, great challenge of birth and death. As soon as he surrendered to the child Gopal, he attained liberation and he was brought back to his natural position. So this is the position of every one of us. Similarly, Srimad Bhagavatam also explains He says that beyond this material creation there is another world, the eternal spiritual world where there is no need for the sun or the moon. This is Paramdham. This is all the detail that Krishna goes in to describe this spiritual world in Bhagavad Gita. But in the 10th canto of the Bhagavatam, we read 
in great, great, glorious, intricate detail of the spiritual world of Vaikuntha and also the spiritual world of Goloka or Vrindavan. Therefore, the Srimad Bhagavatam is the perfect encyclopedia which contains everything needed to be known for the highest of all transcendental realizations. In fact, our spiritual master, His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, before he came to America, he was living in Vrindavan at the Radha Damodar Mandir, which is the holy place where Srila Jiva Goswami worshipped the holy form of the Lord, Radha Damodar. It was also the place where Srila Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, Raghunath Das Goswami, Raghunath Bhat Goswami, Gopal Bhatta Goswami, Sri Jiva Goswami would all meet together to discuss the glories of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and how to spread those glories throughout the world by their behavior and by their writings and by their teachings. So it was there that Srila Prabhupada found great inspiration by these great acharyas to prepare himself for his life's mission to spread the glories of the highest teachings of Sri Gaur Sundar, Sri Sriman Mahaprabhu, throughout all the world. And he began by translating the first of the twelve cantos of the Bhagavatam. He translated the first canto in three volumes. And he explained to us when he came to the West that in these three volumes of the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam is absolutely everything you'll ever need to know to attain the supreme highest perfection of Krishna consciousness. It's all within these three books. Anything beyond this is simply for transcendental variegatedness. But everything is in here. He said, I specifically translated in this way the first canto because I began my journey when I was 70 years old and at any moment I could leave this world. So I wanted to make sure that in the English language, which is the most current language in all the world, that all living beings will have the chance to attain the supreme highest perfection of consciousness of Radha Krishna. Simply by this. This is the power of the Bhagavatam. But it describes ah, in the first canto of the Bhagavatam, Nasta Praeshu Bhadreshu Nityam Bhagavati Sevaya Bhagavati Uttamashloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naishtiki. That one can only understand the Bhagavatam by hearing from one who is a surrendered devotee to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The person Bhagavatam. 
And one can only realize the content of that understanding by humbly rendering service to such a great soul. You see, the Bhagavatam cannot be understood in truth, in essence, unless we have the great opportunity of perceiving living embodiments of these truths of the Bhagavatam within our life. Of course, in this age of Kali Yuga, people do not have the physical capacity of Markandeya Rishi. But the qualitative principle of complete devotion and faith in the Lord under any circumstance is consistent amongst all true person Bhagavatams or great souls throughout the ages. Markandeya Rishi was put into an impossibly difficult situation for millions and millions and millions of years. Why? Why did he ask to see the illusory energy? Such great souls, they are not simply curious because they want to enjoy what this material energy has to offer. <coughs> By resisting the temptations of Kama Dev Cupid, he already pure proved that he was beyond any trace of desire for sense enjoyment. But it was the will of God to use his devotee to show the glory of his devotee and to show the power of material energy and to show how he is the only refuge. Therefore, in the loving service of the Lord, for the benefit of the Lord showing the whole world a great message, he asked to see the illusory energy. Sometimes devotees ask, if I become a devotee of God, that means there should be no longer any struggle. Markandeya was a devotee. My God, how much he struggled. Why are you not struggling so much? Because you are not qualified. You are not so dear and advanced to the Lord that he can put you in such an incredibly um, wonderful predicament to show the whole world your glories. We're struggling when we have when we're a little sick, or when we're, our tooth is feeling some pain, or when somebody says something not true about us, or when it's too hot, or when the electricity goes out. Oh my God, how will I live? Impossible. What's happening to this civilization? Huh? Or when our child gets bad grades. My God, how will I live through this? Why is this happening to me? I'm a devotee. Huh? How easily we are tormented by the most ridiculously little things. Considering all the miseries taking place throughout the universe. Just the slightest thing that is not according to our plan creates havoc in our minds. 
people don't understand me. It's the end of the world. I'm lonely. Markandeya Muni, for millions of years, he was lonely. And he was a devotee. The Lord wanted to show that material existence is a struggle whether you are a devotee or not a devotee. The difference is, to the devotee, Krishna goes like this. He attracts you by his inconceivably beautiful form. And by that attraction, your consciousness finds so much bliss, so much ecstasy, so much of a higher taste. As Bhagavad Gita explains, the miseries of material existence become insignificant. The challenges. Do not think that this is just an example that applies to the Satya Yuga. This is a universal principle for spiritual advancement that must be understood. Therefore, we find in the lives of the great souls, they are the, book, they are the person Bhagavatams who are teaching us the same principles for us to see within our own lives the living reality of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? How Krishna's plan is so uniquely perfect. Take Srila Prabhupada for instance. He was a pure devotee of the Lord from birth. He was Nitya Siddha. He was a perfectly honest and sincere devotee of the Lord. I remember some years back we were in New York City and Srila Prabhupada was being interviewed by Newsweek magazine and the reporter said, Swamiji, please answer my question. When did you first see God, Krishna? Srila <laughs> Prabhupada not very anxious to be talking about his own realizations. He wanted to teach him how he could see Krishna. Prabhupada said, ah, Krishna is in everyone's heart. Krishna can be seen by everyone. You simply have to chant the holy name and follow the four regulative principles and gradually you will see Krishna. Yes, Swamiji, uh, I'm sorry, perhaps I did not phrase my question correctly, but when did you first see Krishna? <laughs> Krishna is the supreme cause of all causes. He has created this material and spiritual energy. This body is made of the material energy. You are not this body. This body is a temporary residence, growing old, getting diseased, dying. As a boy, as you go from boyhood to youth to old age, so similarly the soul enters a different body at the time of death. You are the soul. When you realize the soul, then you will understand that you are part and parcel of Krishna. Then you will see Krishna. Ah, Swamiji, I'm sorry, perhaps my English is not so correct, but I'm, I'm trying to explain my, my... I'm not correctly expressing myself, but when did you first see Krishna? And Krishna is none different than his name. 
Namachintamani Krishna's Chaitanya Rasvigraha. If you chant the name of Krishna, you will purely, you will see Krishna in all of his full opulence within his name. You, you can do it. Anyone can do it. It is everyone's birthright. Huh. I'm very sorry, Swamiji. Very, very sorry. Your answers are perfect, no doubt. But I'm afraid that no fault in you. But I am not properly explaining. When, at what age did you first see Krishna? <laughs> Prabhupada said, the first I remember seeing Krishna, four years old. <laughs> so Prabhupada was a completely liberated soul. Why didn't he go to the Western world and spread the glories of the Lord when he was 20 years old or 16 years old? Like Sukadev Goswami. Sukadev Goswami stayed in the womb of his mother for 16 years. He was not an ordinary living being. But as soon as he came out, naked as he was, he started preaching the glories of the Bhagavatam. Why Prabhupada waited till he was 70? And why, when he was ready to go at 70, Krishna gave him no money. He gave him no contacts in America. He came to Bombay, where he was given passage on a cargo freight ship. They go very, very slow across the Atlantic. And why, while he was on that boat, across the Atlantic. Why did Krishna send storms, bashing waves, to cause him seasickness and heart attacks? And why, when he arrived at New York City, why was there not wonderful Vaishnavas, angels and demigods, with flowers, drums, cymbals, saying, Jai Prabhupada, Jai Prabhupada. Why, when he got off the ship, he was alone? There was nobody there. He had no money. He met the captain of the ship. He said, please, buy my books. Give me $16 for my books, then at least I have something. I have 40 rupees, but nobody wants rupees in America. The captain gave him $20. He got off the boat with $20 not knowing and that's enough for a person to live a few hours in New York City. Why? Because Krishna wanted to show the book Bhagavatam. Prabhupada was coming to teach us the book Bhagavatam. But the people of the world would not take it seriously unless they saw the demonstration of the person Bhagavatam. How a person in his devotion and love for the Lord is willing to overcome with a grateful heart all the obstacles that may come upon him. Factually, if Prabhupada did not come to America just in the way Krishna arranged it for him to come, nobody would have taken it seriously. We would have read and said, yes, there are so many nice books like this. But my God, he's, a living, he's actually living this book to the extreme. Therefore, these words coming from such a person, they come alive in my heart.
tribulations are there in this material world. The question is how he responds to the tribulations. If he's responding in an attitude of pure devotion, welcoming it as God's mercy, being more and more inspired and enlivened under any situation. We have used the example that fool's gold or false gold, if you want to test it, you put it in fire. <coughs> because under the test of burning heat of fire, false gold either becomes covered by the black of the fire <coughs> or it burns to ashes. But real gold, the hotter the fire becomes, the brighter the gold shines. So those who are really person Bhagavatams, the more the material energy tests them. Actually, it is Krishna testing them through the agent of material nature. The more they shine, the more their devotion, their inspiration, and their love of God simply manifest brighter and brighter and brighter. Because after all, there will be many tests, trials, and tribulations on our path back home, back to Godhead. The Bhagavatam explains like this. We have to keep our mind fixed on the goal. As Markandeya Rishi, despite all of his difficulties, he survived because of his Krishna consciousness. So similarly, the Lord takes his most qualified devotees and puts them through the most extreme situations just to show that the Bhagavatam is not just a scripture written 5,000 years ago, but the Bhagavatam is a way of life that is practiced today by those great souls who have put in their faith in the lotus feet of Sri Krishna. In all circumstances, in all situations, the Bhagavatam explains the great shelter is in the holy name. I would like to read of the 18,000 verses by Srila Veda Vyas. In his final of all Vedic writings, the Srimad Bhagavatam, the last verse of the Bhagavatam is the last word of Vedanta. The last word spoken by Veda Vyas in this literary incarnation of Godhead. In this scripture which he declares himself to be nothing but the literary incarnation of God, the Bhagavatam. And he concludes. Sometimes it is said, he who laughs last, laughs best. The last statement is the one that sticks. Huh? Srila Veda Vyas spoke hundreds and hundreds, lakhs and lakhs and lakhs and lakhs, perhaps millions of slokas in all the Vedic literatures that he wrote. The Rig Veda, the Yajur Veda, the Atharva Veda, the Sama Veda, the 108 Upanishads, the Itihastas, the Puranas, the Vedanta Sutras. This is his last word. 
the final, the conclusion of the message of all the scriptures. Nama Sankirtanam Yasya Sarva Papa Pranashanam Pranamo Dukashamanash Tam Namami Harim Param. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Lord Hari, the congregational chanting of whose holy names destroys all sinful reactions and the offering of obeisances unto whom relieves all material suffering. Since this is the last word of Yasdev, we have nothing more to say ourselves. As his humbly aspiring servant of the servant of his representatives, rather than giving a commentary, I think we should put it into practice. I'll read it once more, then we'll put it into practice. Do you know what it means to put it into practice? Everyone, please stand up. Where is the Murdanga? Repeat after me, as loud as you can, please. Nama Sankirtanam Yasya Sarva Papa Pranashanam Pranamo Dukashamanas Tam Namami Hadim Param I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Lord Hari. The congregational chanting of whose holy names destroys all sinful reactions. And the offering of obeisances unto whom relieves all material suffering. So there are two principles here which are considered most important to offer obeisances unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead and to congregationally chant His holy names. So we will begin by accepting the conclusion and the essence, the summum bonum of all knowledge, of all the scriptures, to congregationally chant the holy names of the Lord. Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has personally taken the conclusion of the Vedas and put them into his life. And those great devotees, the acharyas, and the humble servants of those great souls they are simply pleading with all living beings in the world, take to this simple process. 